we have to be a resistance to what's going on in the world when when you have 250 million Christians now who live in great oppression for their faith alone. Um, and most of the Western church is not terribly concerned about it or at least animated about it, doing something about it. You have to say, we have some waking up to do. From the pages of Church Growth Magazine, helping church leaders implement their vision, this is the Church Growth Magazine podcast with your host, Brian Boyd. This is the Church Growth Magazine podcast, and uh, I'm Brian Boyd. So happy to be here with you today. Today, a great friend, Dr. David Curry, uh, president of Open Doors USA, is here with me. Hi, David. How are you, man? It's good to, good to hear your, your voice, Brian. It's always a pleasure to be with you. I'm glad you could hear me, not see me. I, I am shaving during this coronavirus work from home thing, at least, I'm and showering. I'm proud of you. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, David uh, leads an amazing organization, uh, Open Doors. Uh, uh, everyone is, is pretty familiar with the story, I'm, I'm sure, and, and Brother Andrew. Uh, but, uh, you know, tell us a little more about what Open Doors, about the history and, and, and what you do today with the, with the organization. Well, there may be some that, that don't know the story, so I'll just briefly. Yeah, okay. please. 65 years ago, the world was controlled by, by uh, at least half the world was controlled by the Soviet Union, which had this iron curtain around uh, Russia and, and parts of Eastern Europe and so forth. Uh, and there was a man named Brother Andrew. Now, he he's, his real name was something else, but he took on a code name because he, as a ministry, smuggled Bibles behind that iron curtain. So he made sure, and he was motivated by the fact that he did not want Christians in Russia, in the Soviet Union, cut off from the body of Christ and unable to read a Bible. And so he took it upon himself. He started with a little Volkswagen bug. He'd fill that bug up and try to hide the stuff in the Volkswagen bug and cross Checkpoint Charlie and other checkpoints uh, in this, you know, into the Soviet Union. And, and he wrote a book about it called God Smuggler, which is made, made him famous and, and familiar yeah. people with the idea of, of being a smuggler for God. Now, all these years later, 65 some years later, Open Doors is the ministry that grow, grew out of that obedience to, to reach out to the persecuted church. And we still today uh, go into regions of the world. Uh, whether it be in Asia, the Middle East, or elsewhere, uh, where Christians are greatly suffering for their faith. They're either oppressed uh, for their faith culturally or maybe by their government. It, it varies from country to country and, and, and situation to situation, but we only work in the 60 countries where persecution is its most intense. Right, and the countries people would know of, uh, you know, very well: North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, these kinds of places, uh, Iraq and, and Syria, uh, that are on the front. They're on the front pages every day because of the crisis centers, and we go and and connect with person to person the persecuted church there. So it makes for an interesting worldview, and 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 it certainly is a blessing to learn from the persecuted church as we interact with them. That's great. I, uh, a, a little anecdote, my wife, Fran and I have been to India, um, uh, I think seven or eight times now going back maybe eight or nine years. 
and um, uh, we've been doing uh, we've done some pro bono kind of marketing consulting for a, a large uh, church in India. I'll, I'll leave the name out for now. So uh, this church, uh, David, was expanding and opening up their first um, remote campus. That this is a couple years ago. And, um, and so we were on our way to India. And so one of the pastors, uh, called or WhatsApp or something and said, Hey, do you mind if we drop ship some Amazon stuff to your house and you can bring it? Cause it's a lot cheaper to buy it in the States than it is to buy electronics, like a microphone and, you know, like lavalier mics and speakers and stuff. Right. Dave. So, so I'm like, sure. Drop, drop ship it to our house. So he's just a couple things. Well, a week later, a, a massive suitcase is full of electronics, uh, so much so that we had to uh, take everything out of its boxes and, and remove all the packaging to try to fit it into the suitcase, right? So I promise you I'm going somewhere with this stuff. So we um, we get to India, we come off the plane in Mumbai, and as our luggage comes off the uh, luggage machine, the luggage rotator, uh, it's got white X's all over the sides of it. So they had x-rayed it and, and marked it. And we're like, they don't want us to bring the stuff into India. Like, you know, and so what did we do? Like good Christians, we pulled up into a corner, got some baby wipes, cleaned off the suitcase and, and, and marched right through uh, customs like nothing ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so one of those countries. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on our, our world watch list is number 10. It is. Watch this. So we we didn't feel like Brother Andrew. A little bit felt. I remember going back and thinking, I feel like a little bit of like Brother Andrew here, you know, smuggling in, you know, electronics into India for this church. But uh, um, anyway, that's my that's my story. So so what is the world watch list? Well, some years ago, um, I guess it's probably been twenty six years ago. I've only been with the organization seven years, but. 26 years ago, they were evaluating uh, where do we spend our resources? And they began some, uh, some data, some, some study uh, in various countries to see where were, were the most difficult places, where were the places where the most Christians are being persecuted? Because there may be some places where it's very intense, but there's only a handful of Christians. And how do you sort all this out? And then, of course, uh, one of the factors that we always are looking at is what is the Holy Spirit telling us? And there's some interesting stories around that as well. But um, from that, we we gathered what we called the World Watch List, and we use this internally to uh, allocate resources to be able to reach the most persecuted Christians in the most difficult areas. So uh, – However, twenty, uh, you know, some many many years ago, uh, after some seri uh, uh, series of years, we determined this had a value to governments and to the church at large. So we release now every January the World Watch List, which is the data, the the actual stories and people affected by persecution. Just it's a slice. We're we're not saying that this is everything, but what we are saying is that. We're reporting the actual numbers that we can verify. And so um, it shows a significant, a significant amount of persecution. And it's been on the rise for somewhere around six years now, just unabated uh, growth in persecution across every region of the world. And it's 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 also used by the you know our government, State Department, the White House and others rely on this as the most most 
reliable data on persecution because it's grassroots. In other things, the Pew Research does good stuff as well, but they're talking to bishops and cardinals and at a high level, they're not getting down on the grassroots right. and figuring out what is the story there. So you've got um, uh, on uh, opendoorsusa.org, uh, uh, you can click on the menu and there is a, there's a menu item right up top for World Watch List. And as I, as I look at it right now, I see, uh, can I say what's on here? I can say, right? Yeah, it's public. yeah we got North Korea is number one, Afghanistan, followed by Somalia, Libya, Pakistan. Are, are these top five always kind of up there? Do you see every year when you release the new version, do you see these, these nations rotate around? How does this, how does this track? They do, uh, they do jump around a bit. Now, North Korea has been number one for about 18 years, but... Afghanistan is has almost knocked it off a couple of times because it's so intense. But uh, in, score, in the scoring uh, formulas, uh, it gets very close. But North Korea has been number one for 18 years. And largely, you know, the thing about North Korea is that all that we report there that's going on against Christians, that we, we believe uh, that there's at least 50,000, maybe as many as 80,000 Christians in labor camps in North Korea. Mm-hmm. We're giving a wide range there, but it's even on the low end, that's very significant. That's what we can, that's what we can sort of verify and justify. There's, there's so much more that's going on there. Many people lose their life that we do not report on uh, because we don't, we can't prove it. So um, mm-hmm. we're, we know North Korea is the worst. We just don't know how bad it is. And it is, it is an intense post-Soviet, but, but still communistic system there. You have a dictator, three generations, um, it, and they, they control every part of society. And for, for a number of reasons, Kim Jong-un and his, uh, his uh, father before him and his grandfather before him had great animosity towards Christians. They felt that Christians were part of wow. the uh, the American forces that uh, were part of the war that split that country. Mm-hmm. They made Christians the the number one enemy of the state. So in famine, they're they're the last to get food if they're caught with the Bible. If they're caught talking about Jesus or whatever, they're going to go to labor camp. They've made a great effort to to crack down on Christians in a very intense way. I've had some personal interactions with North Korea. I mean, I've been in North Korean, uh, you know, with North Korean believers many times when I was in South Korea, I was able to um, get a guided tour right up to the North Korean border in a very remote part of the country. And, uh, but I guess the closest I've been to understanding at even in a small way, what North Korean believers face as far as intensity was when President Trump and Kim Jong-un met together in Singapore. Yes. Uh, I was there and uh, went to, uh, was walking by the St. Regis Hotel in Singapore and and I saw that um, it was surrounded by North Korean military and I said to the one of the Singaporean police there, hey, I'd love to go in and in there. Is it possible? They said, well, you're allowed to, but you're into the lobby, but you're, you're going to get, you know, have to strip down and get searched. I said, well, that's fine. Yeah. So I went through all of the security things, went in there and I sat in the lobby 
of the St. Regis Hotel in Singapore, having a cup of coffee, acting like a, trying to act like a European tourist. There was a few, about five other European tourists in the lobby there. Um, and I was literally surrounded by about a hundred of Kim Jong-un's private security secret service people. Wow. One yeah. of which, Brian, just to give you a picture of this, when I say surrounded, I mean, these are the one guy pulled up a chair and his knees, he was like face to face staring me, staring at me No, when, when his knees were maybe about four inches up, uh, away from my knees. He just, yeah. just sitting there staring at you, trying to intimidate you. And in that moment, I got, a little glimpse of what believers must feel, which is just this overwhelming sense of this is a government that does not like you. They are watching you. They will use every form of intimidation and force against you. And of course, that was just a sliver of what people would face if they lived under that day by day. But it certainly was was uh, uh, an experience for me. We are... Uh... I, I don't know how many people listening to this podcast have traveled overseas and, and, uh, and my limited travel, like to parts of India and so forth. I, I still come back home and thankful for our freedoms we have here. Uh, I don't think we all know, know. I, I bet we don't even understand the freedom we have here as far as freedom of, of religion. Do you, uh, what, how do churches work with open doors today. We've got, uh, you know, thousands of churches in our, we listen to this podcast and, and read church growth magazine. How does open doors interact with churches here in the States? Well, we have, uh, first of all, we, we want to provide resources for churches so that they can be informed and in, in sermons, uh, ideas and scriptures for pastors who have to talk on these subjects every weekend. And, and it's hard to know, uh, what's trustworthy information. So we have those kinds of things, small group studies and everything. A video is available for your service uh, that have of uh, interesting people from, from these countries around the world who've been persecuted to make the story real. The reality is that, uh, that I want to see that the church, the persecuted church, one of the main tactics of the persecuted of the uh, enemy against the persecuted is to isolate them, is to get the church off by itself, shrivel and die. You see this over and over and over again. So I, I think part of the power of churches motive, you know, getting motivated and activated and animated on this subject is that it brings connection closer. So a sense that you care about, know about, tell the story of the North Korean church pray for them, send letters to them. We can facilitate these kinds of things so that um, so that they're not isolated. And of course, if a church finds passion in the stirring of God, they can support projects because we're doing things, real practical things to help these churches in places around the world where people are, are persecuted for their faith. I think it's a beautiful thing. And it, it, it fights one of the main tactics of the enemy, which is that isolation. How are you able to report on what you guys do, uh, you know, in these nations? How do you bring that back and give data? Well, you know, when it, when we work in dangerous places, we, we will always report as much as we possibly can. And every pastor of course has, you know, the ability to pick up the phone and get, and get, um, the, the information he needs to, to understand. Now, some things you may not want to put into your newsletter, but 
because you can understand in North Korea, it monitors open doors very carefully and wants to know where we're at. We occasionally will lose staff people and, um, and, and, uh, these kinds of things. Uh, so we're, we're very careful about what we say about North Korea and, uh, we, we expect to partner churches to do the same, but in other sure. countries, there's a lot more you could say and, and, and do, and, and, uh, and pastors can be more actively involved. What about New Jersey? Uh, New Jersey is, is not on the world watch list yet. Okay. Although okay. You can see, you know, issues. Uh, I know we're being silly, but now think about of what the stories that we're beginning to see pop up about churches, drive-in churches. That's right. Shut down, and you start to think to yourself: Is that is that bias? Is that a an anti-church bias? Because people are just sitting in their car. They could be sitting in a parking yeah. lot, at Costco. Why can that? Right. I saw that this weekend, David. I saw um, uh, Paul Doherty at uh, Victory in Tulsa pulled off a, a massive drive-in church, right? Right. And uh, they have a huge parking lot in South Tulsa there. It's really huge. And then uh, uh, Pastor Dean Curry, your brother in, in the Seattle-Tacoma area, they were partnering with other churches, and I believe that didn't happen, right? The, there was a the somebody— state, The state shut them down uh, their drive-in church. The, these are issues of freedom and and accessibility that and that show a bit of bias here, even in some states, not all certainly, but in some. Uh, so I think there are issues here in the West where you see Christians painted as intolerant. They, there's a desire to to uh, I think marginalize Christians, but it's nowhere near what you would see as far as oppression or issues that are represented on the world watch list. Right. So, uh, as, as the whole world shuts down, shuts in, stays in, locks down, uh, we've seen churches, uh, especially this, the, as, as we record this, this is the day after Easter Sunday. And, uh, yesterday, Easter Sunday was massive. I think my wife and I attended four or five different church services around the world, you know, throughout the morning. And that was great. Uh, how, how does, the advent of a high quality streaming interaction affect persecuted churches, persecuted Christians uh, worldwide. In some places it's, it's very accessible um, in wealthy middle Eastern countries uh, that uh, some of the countries have all but given up trying to block uh, access to these kinds of things. Uh, although in some places it can't, it, you know, they're, they're quite poor and they don't have access to it. Many, many places you have satellite television and, and radio and these kinds of things in the, in the most difficult places, it's still very difficult to get, you can't stream things like that easily in Somalia, in Afghanistan and so forth. So, uh, they have the access in North Korea. They may be 30 approved websites, um, none of which uh, obviously are going to have uh, uh, the any sorts of sermons. But the reality of technological answers is is real, and we we try to take advantage of that and um, have all manner of ways in which we we support and and get resources to the persecuted church. Now, let me give a, you a little story here that's quite interesting. When Andrew started. A brother Andrew started smuggling into the Soviet Union. He quickly uh, began to use all kinds of methodology to get 
behind the Iron Curtain, one of which was that they had a shipping shipping company that had uh, took refrigerators into the Soviet Union, and they used that. It was an illegitimate cover to go into these regions to take millions and millions and millions of Bibles. In the same way, a technology can be used today to to help support to get to marginalized groups of Christians, persecuted group, groups of Christians, with with some really interesting technologies, uh, bordering on sort of James Bond kind of stuff. Uh, that's mm-hmm. really quite interesting, and I think your you know pastors who are interested in that sort of thing, um, those are the kinds of projects that I mentioned that we that they can be be part of. Before we uh, move on to the next uh, couple questions, how do, how can people learn more about Open Doors? What's the best way for people to reach somebody on your team if a church wants to be wants to partner, get more information from Open Doors? Well, they certainly opendoorsusa.org. There's church partnership resources there, and and uh, and ways that you can reach out to our our staff, uh, our church uh, resource staff there online. That be super easy for folks. Great. Opendoorsusa.org. Now, uh, it's been a couple of years, but I was in the lobby of your offices and uh, you had some artifacts. Didn't you have some cool stuff there from uh, our, our pictures of Brother Andrew and the VW bug? And Yeah, we got all we have many, many artifacts. Andrew himself was a collector of Bibles and also of of uh, Muslim books. And you might say, well, Muslims, why was that? Well, because when he would go, uh, he was a man of a certain generation. Obviously he's still alive, although a frail in his early nineties. But when he would go to visit, say Yasser Arafat, and he was one of the, those kind of people who would go and visit with these, what some of us would consider terrorists and talk to them about Jesus. And so what he would do is he would go and he'd, he would go meet with Yasser Arafat, which he did several times, and he would take a Bible. And he would say, sir, I'd like to talk to you about my book. And he'd talk to him about the Bible and had great conversations. But inevitably, they would say, well, we want to tell you about our book. And they would give him a copy <laughs> right. these of these, of these um, Muslim texts, Korans from, from some of the uh, most notable terrorists and scoundrels of, of the modern age in his library. So we keep all of those sorts of things um, for his historical reasons, obviously. But we also have pictures of Andrew and Corey Ten Boom, who many of your listeners were. Wow. They were great yeah. friends and, and the best of friends, really. They helped each other. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place, which told the story of her and her family uh, hiding Jews from the Nazis. They, they lived quite close to each other within about 40, 35, 40 minutes and were friends until she passed away. So many, many kind of historical things, but they tell a story, Brian. They tell the story of the church as resistance to the worldly uh, right. situation of that day, which I think we need to relearn repeatedly because we can be quite supine, quite passive, um, in the face of opposition, afraid for our own safety, afraid for our own, you know, selfish reasons. It's not unhuman to be that way, but it's not to say that we should stay that way. We have to be a resistance to what's going on in the world when 
when you have 250 million Christians now who live in great oppression for their faith alone. Um, and most of the Western church is not terribly concerned about it or at least animated about it, doing something about it. You have to say, we have some waking up to do. So, so what's the church doing wrong today? Well, I think the church um, has its his own set of challenges. I'm talking widely about the the body of Christ, but you can um, you can sort of put it on your own personal level. You're trying to pay your bills. You're trying to keep the lights on. You're trying to reach yeah. your, you, you reach your community. Um, but but what it doesn't do is give you a sense of perspective. What that does not do is give you a sense of perspective on what the worldwide body of Christ is doing and, and what's happening to it. And, and, and I think it's made us somewhat insulated. I think the, the isolation that we're facing now gives us some insight into, but not is not equal to what the persecuted church is going through because they can't meet in churches, but, uh, but for different reasons than we can't right now. Uh, soon, hopefully we'll be able to all go back to church and go back to our regular way of life, even though it may take some, some period of time. Um, but the persecuted church cannot meet together without great danger. They cannot, uh, make up, they can't operate in society openly without great fear or oppression. Uh, they lose their jobs because they're followers of Jesus. They're sometimes kicked out of their family. Wow. Uh, women, one of the, the really the hard messages of the persecuted church is that Christian women are discriminated against more than any other group, really, because they're often raped in some of these Middle Eastern or other kinds of uh, cultures, uh, raped or forced into marriage. Um by radical Islamic uh, groups in order to shame them for being Christians, uh, forced to marry in order. And then when the, they have children, uh, those children are automatically Islamic. These are real things that happen. And it's, we're, we're, we're quite disconnected from it often. And I realized there's a lot of uh, fatigue, I think, uh, about bad news because we're inundated with it. So what I like to, to encourage pastors is to be is to follow a biblical example. The scripture says, and I think this is what I call a universal calling. <clears throat> there are some things you're called to be an evangelist. You may be called to be a pastor or a shepherd. You may be called to be something else. Those are individual callings, but we all have them. There are some universal callings, one of which I think is, is related to the scripture in Hebrews that says, you are to pray for those who are imprisoned as if it were your own family, as if it were your brother and sister uh, who are in chains for the name of Jesus. That's your family. You pray for them. And I think we need to pick that up again. And just every believer, every church, every Sunday, praying, talking, sharing on some level for a moment or two about what's happening around the world to our family. And it, I think I think there's a selfish reason embedded in that, which is what what they're experiencing. We will soon experience, or to some degree, experience on and off oppression. You know, being painted as intolerant, nut jobs, uh, all these kinds of things that we can experience here and there, and we can sense a rising disquiet about the church in American culture. 
Well, that gives us insight. We're going to see more of that in the future. And But the persecuted church has seen it now, and we can learn from them what they need, we have, but what they've learned, we need to learn. And so um, I think that's the other symbiotic part of it. We can we can grow from each other. Dr. David Curry is the CEO and president of Open Doors USA, opendoorsusa.org. And uh, if your church uh, needs, uh, would like more information on Open Doors, I encourage you to go visit the site and engage and get materials. It sounds like you've got some great materials that churches can use to educate their constituency. And, uh, um, you know, as we wrap up, David, my, my question, one more question for you is we've seen church change over the last month with this, with the, with the, you know, work from home, stay at home. And, uh, as we come on the other side of this, when we come out of the other side of this, how, what's the church going to be like? Any thoughts? Have you thought about that? Like, will, will people say, you know what, I don't need to drive over there and, and sit in the pew or. Where do you think things are going to change domestically after we uh, come through this coronavirus yeah, issue? I, yeah, I think that's a concern. I think, I think we we have thus far. We're, it's early days, so um, I think there's still time for the resistance to rise to this. But I, I would say to pastors, do not easily be defined by simply by your sermons online. Remember, most pastors are you know their churches are 100 people, 75 people. Uh, on average in, in America. So they're, they're not going to have a premium online experience that m- may compete with, you know, what people can see elsewhere. Okay. So those churches, the local churches may be marginalized in this. I would say we are more than our sermons. We're going to have to fight, resist the culture telling us just have an online service. That's enough. Churches have been on the front lines of every crisis and disaster. Chaplains on, in World War II, in World War I, in the Korean War on the front lines. Right now, chaplains in America are being marginalized out of hospitals. People are dying alone. The elderly are sitting at home alone. And we've been told we can't go visit and take reasonable precautions to, to make sure people do not die in solitude without love. Uh, this is the work of the church, and I think we're beginning to, I sense, I hope that we're beginning to wake up to the fact that the world has told us we're not essential and mm-hmm. that we can just wow. you know, post something online. And I say to every pastor listening, your church is essential. It's necessary, but it's not going to be your sermon. In all likelihood, it's going to be reaching out to the elderly, delivering food, caring for people who are isolated, lonely, spikes in addiction, spikes in abuse. This is going to happen. There's going to be a tsunami, and there is underground right now, but it's going to come up, uh, of all kinds of social impacts of this very difficult isolation, and the church needs to be there. So right now, I think what church will look like in the future, I don't know, but if we're not careful, it will be seen as not essential, not important, and you will see a big drop in attendance to church, but uh, but more importantly, in the spiritual uh, life of our, of our country. Well, I, I uh, that's, that's a great word, David. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll give a shout out to your brother, Dr. <laughs> uh, Dean Curry, Pastor Dean from OurChurch.us in uh, Tacoma. My, my dad's uh, in his 90s. 
Uh, he's a World War II veteran, and my dad and mom are, are, are shut in right now in their home, and for good reason. And uh, uh, recently, they were a little short on groceries, and, uh, and your brother's uh, church brought him over a couple times now, a whole, whole bunch of groceries. And uh, there's a lot of love, a lot of love there. And uh, I've told that story, and, and uh, it really shows um, what the churches should be. Yeah. I, I, for me, it, uh, that's a true definition. It's one of the true definitions. Yeah. Well, Dr. David Curry, CEO and president of, Op- of Open Doors USA, opendoorsusa.org is your place to go there. Thank you, David, for taking some time out today. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Church Growth Magazine is your destination for all tactical and and growth-related items for your church. We are thankful for everyone who listens. Uh, Please take a moment and subscribe to this podcast. You can can subscribe on Apple, uh, Spotify. Uh, We're also available on Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and any place else, Google too. Any place else that uh, great podcasts can be listened to. Uh, Churchgrowthmagazine.com. Uh, continues to be a great resource. So encourage you to, to uh, visit the site. And we've got some great articles uh, this month uh, around the uh, virus, PPP, um, uh, different things that can help you in your church, how to retain membership. Uh, so great stuff there. For Dr. D- David Curry, I'm Brian Boyd. Thank you again for listening to the Church Growth Magazine podcast. Mm-hmm.